You may notice that um, people worship around here. You see all kinds of expressions. Some people are very chill. Some people are not. And we're good with it either way. We just want you to connect with Jesus. And because um, he's what we're about, because he really is enough. If Jesus is enough, you're going to live your life in abundance and in joy and in happiness. If Jesus is not enough, you're always going to be looking for the next thing. And so today we're talking about Jesus and how he's enough, and we're in Colossians chapter 3, which is uh, literally, I know preachers say this all the time, they're like, this is my favorite passage. <laughs> this one is. <laughs> I love this one. I love Colossians 3. And we're going to start in verse 12. Before we do, I just want to kind of uh, introduce it with just this little quick story. I am... Um, this, earlier this year, my wife, and, my wife took me and the kids to a jazz game. Uh, I say she took me because if we go anywhere, it's because she made me. I don't know. It's weird. But anyway, so my wife made me go to the jazz game. And, and I like, I mean, I like going to games and so forth. But uh, come on, let's be honest. This year was the first winning season the jazz have had in what, like ever? I mean, like it's been a long time. And so, so anyway, we went down and watched a jazz game. And uh, we got, uh, well, you've heard of nosebleeds seats. There's a, there's a couple levels above that where you have to wear goggles so your air, eyes don't pop out because the air's so thin. No, I'm just kidding. We weren't there. But anyway, so it was, we were way up there, and they had this big jumbotron screen, you know. But the funny thing was that the screen shot was the opposite of where we were sitting. So I was looking at the floor, and the screen was on the opposite side of what was happening on the floor. So it was a little nauseating. But uh, it was still fun. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. And I saw Donovan Mitchell play, you know, and, uh, you know, that dude pretty good. I mean, there's some, it, was, it was a good game. They were playing the Phoenix Suns. There was a fight in the game. Sweet! I mean, uh, you should not fight in games. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so there was a fight in the game. A couple Suns players got thrown out, and, and uh, the Jazz won, made a couple rounds into the playoffs, I think. So it was a good game. I had a friend who went a few weeks later. He said when he went that there was a guy walking through the, the area out there, and he had a sign. Said, his sign said, um, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe in Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, really, that's something, right? And, and I'm thinking about that going, man, that dude's a nut. I don't really want to be his friend. But then I got to thinking about that, and I'm going, you know, maybe I kind of do that. Maybe I'm living my life with a sign, <laughs> you know, walking around going, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in Jesus, and I believe in me. And so sometimes it's real easy. In fact, there was a stage in my life, um, and at any time, I could revert into a way of living faith that's all about me. And so it's something that the Holy Spirit has to keep his thumb on in my life and keep awakening me to. But it, there was a time in my life where it really was all about me. Uh, I don't have time to go into my whole full story, but my wife and I got, I was 17 when Christy and I married and uh, which is, you know, it, it's way too young, but God is good and God is faithful. And for like six years, I lived all about me. And when it came to God, I believed in God. I was upset with God about a few things, to be honest with you, in my life. And um, so I lived for about six or seven years of our marriage as my own priority. My marriage almost ended if it hadn't been for the grace of God and a faithful man of God who counseled my wife to do, to do something radical, just pray for me and be faithful. I probably wouldn't be 
married to Christy today. I lived all about me, and so when it came to church, if I felt like going, I'd go. I never felt like going. My wife would go every Sunday, and I would pretend to be asleep. Then I would clean house so she wouldn't be mad at me when she got home. Some of you guys are going, hey, I never thought of that. And then God showed up in my life one Thursday night in April of 1993. I can't remember the exact date, but I'll tell you something. When you've met Jesus, you know it. In fact, as a pastor, I always struggle with, peop- I struggle with people's journey when they're not clear on when they met Jesus. Because, man, when the Son of God walks into your house, that's life-changing. All of a sudden, when he walked into my life that day, I had a lot of bad habits and things. But all of a sudden, it wasn't about me anymore. And it turned my life around. It turned my marriage around. It turned my parenting around. It turned my career around. It turned my finances around. It turned everything in my life for the better, almost instantly. Um, I, I could tell you stories, but it's beyond the scope of this message. My point is there was a time in life where it was all about me and nothing was enough. And then there came a time in my life where it was all about him. And he is enough. Amen. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which bind us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him. To God the Father. Represent Jesus. Today we start at the end of that text. We're going to go back through it verse by verse and talk about how to apply it. But let's begin and end with this concept. You've got to realize that you always, you always, church say always, always represent Jesus. I had a teacher tell me once in junior high, said, you are an example Be a good one. You do represent Jesus. Represent him well. When I think about that concept and Paul's instruction to represent Christ, I've got to ask myself, man, when people know me, when they talk to me, when they hear my story, or when they see how I live and how I react, do they even think of Jesus? And if they do, what do they think of Jesus? Man, that's a sobering thought. I mean, it, this text is the background for that, the concept of what would Jesus do. So we begin to realize that we represent Jesus because God has done something in our lives. Some things are new about us. The first thing that's new about us is that we're holy. We have a new identity. 
Look at verse 12. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Since God chose you. You you hear that phrase. He's about to give you some, some things to do with that. You've been chosen to be holy. Therefore, do this stuff. But understand this. God made you holy. That is your new identity. Something that's different, that's uh, set apart, that's unique. As, as R.C. Sproul said, it's something that's uniquely other. Holiness is one of those things that we look at, we have no idea what it means, but it gets our attention. It influences us. We notice it. Sometimes it drives us crazy. It certainly did with the disciples. But it's also an influence that we hunger for, and we don't even know why. So you are holy, you have a new identity. That new identity is the internal that produces an external reality. Now you have a new behavior. And what's that behavior? It's holiness. I want to remind you this before I jump into holiness. So Colossians 1.22, I want to back up in Colossians just to remind you of this passage because it's so good. Now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Jesus in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's, that's your status update on heaven book. Holy and blameless. Michael's status, holy and blameless. I mean, I can think of a lot of reasons why I wouldn't have such a status, but Jesus bought that status for me. What's true within becomes true without. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. That's how we say it in Tennessee. Holiness within produces, I mean, holy within produces holiness without. New behaviors in your life. You start, your life starts to look different. It's a whole new life for you. Um, I could probably have Hallie come up here and tell you about the butterflies. She loves butterflies. When a caterpillar, you know, comes in the world, however that happens, I don't read that far into science. It didn't, it wasn't relevant to my sermon illustration. For the first 10 to 14 days of their life, they eat leaves, man. Just consume, 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 consume. Then they go into that stage, you know, the cocoon, the chrysalis stage. For another, about as long, 10 to 14 days. Then they come out, they're a butterfly. But they don't eat leaves anymore when they come out. Now they only drink nectar. So they start their life connected intimately to the earth. But then they're transformed. And now they live from the nectar of flowers that they acquire by flight through the air. And I think that is a good illustration of us. When we come into this world before we meet Christ, man, we are consumers. If, if we weren't consumers, all this marketing wouldn't work. Right? <laughs> the next time you... You guys remember pop-ups? Like back in the 2000s, you know, you go and you try and surf a website and pop, 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 and you're like, ah, 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 close, close, close. They're back, which is great. I mean, everyone hated them, so they brought them back. Um, and the sad thing is, if those things didn't work, they wouldn't be there. We're consumers. And so we're, we're kind of born in this world like the, like the caterpillar, man. We're just eating what the earth has, what the world has. And then God shows up and he transforms you, and then he changes your diet from the consumption of earthly things to the hunger and satisfaction from heavenly things, a new nectar, so to speak. So holiness within you starts, holy within you starts to look like holiness outside of you. And that creates for you an entirely new story in your life. This is my story. This is my song. 
Your life starts to look different. Your story looks different. And it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. It matters that God is in you and he's changed you. Peter said about this, he said, you must be holy because you're, you must be holy because you're God, or I am holy, quoting from the Old Testament. Holiness is that unique thing It's in our life. So when we talk about representing Jesus, understand holiness is key to that. And as we represent Jesus, it means that we represent him from something that's unique about us now that he's in us, okay? So let's jump into the text, okay? We're going to talk about these verses, Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and then we're going to talk about how to apply them. You with me? Are you still awake? I'll tell you what, if you're not awake, just hug the person next to you and they'll wake up. I'm just kidding. That would be so awkward. <laughs> Sitting there almost asleep and all of a sudden some stranger just... <coughs> Jesus, help me. Anyway. So let me jump into the slide that I put off. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, since God chose you, where are you in that verse? You're the one who was chosen. God chose you to be what? To be holy. You're picked. I just want you to see that's a gift. Actually, what I want you to see is not only is it a gift, it's a privilege. The gift of freedom comes with responsibilities, that's to be sure. But the gift of privilege, that comes with even greater responsibility, doesn't it? Now, I'm not talking about guilt. I'm not talking about saying, hey, God saved you, so now you should serve him just because you owe it to him. That, it doesn't work. It's not like that in the kingdom. It's different. In the kingdom, it's like a seed being planted rather than it is a debt being owed. See, when you, when you go out and you plant a seed, whatever it is, maybe it's a, a corn stalk. In my backyard, just the other day, I walked outside and I had a random corn stalk growing in the middle of my backyard. Does anyone else have these problems? I'm like, <laughs> my hip sinky just follows me everywhere I go. Weird things just happen. So, um, I mean, you, you plant a, a kernel of corn and, and, and you don't go out and say, grow, you owe it to me. I planted you. You wait. Growth is organic. It's natural. Why does, it, why does a kernel of corn grow into a stalk of corn? Because it can't do anything else. And it's the same way with us. When God puts his holiness in you, by the way, that, that holiness actually has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. When he puts Jesus Christ in you, you becoming like Jesus Christ is absolutely unavoidable and unpreventable. That's good. Amen. I don't, I don't know where that came from, but praise. Thank you, God. So, God, um, God has some expectations of us, is my point, I guess. He planted in you his son, and he expects his son to come out. That's not a guilt thing. That's not something you have to work out. That's just a reality. And so Paul gives us some coaching in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17, to show us what that's going to look like when Jesus starts coming out of our lives and how that we can step into that. And so he says in verse 12, he said, the second part, he said, so you must clothe yourselves. You must put on what? Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Does that sound good? That's better than what I, what I knew in my natural self. I mean, because uh, tenderhearted mercy, not really something that was on my laundry list when I was born into this world, you know? It was like, give me something now. That, that, uh, that was... 
I'm just saying that's how babies feel. Feed us. What I see in this verse, I think it's a rediscovery. I think Paul is coaching us to rediscover the image of God. We were all created in the image of God. And so Paul's telling us what this looks like in us. With Jesus coming out of us, that's God in us. It looks like tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. That's what God looks like. That's how God behaves. I think in the created order, when God created Adam and Eve, that was part of the image of God. And I think it was lost. When Adam sinned, rejected God as his source, turned his back on God, then sin came into the world. And then sin destroyed tenderhearted mercy. Now people were cruel. Destroyed kindness. People weren't good to each other. They were in it for what they could get out of it. They weren't patient with each other. They weren't gentle to each other. They were proud and, and not humble. Sin literally destroys the, our humanity as people. And I think now more than ever, it's more apparent to see what people really think because they've been given the false medium of social media. And they can share their real heart on things. And it's not pretty. We find out that everyone has an opinion and nobody's responsible for that. They just have one. I get to have it without being informed. What if God's people, by the way, let me just throw this out here totally for free. I don't expect people who don't have Jesus Christ in their lives to live like Christians. I think that's absurd. The only way the world is going to be changed and people are going to start behaving in a manner that's considerate of other people is when Jesus Christ enters their heart. That's the only world changer there is. Everything else, you can make all the laws you want. People don't have a problem breaking laws. Just ask any of our police officers in the house. But you put Jesus in their heart. You've changed them internally. And so what would our lives begin to look like as Christians, as believers, if we put on mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? Another Tennessee expression Christians could take heed to, my mom used to say to me, act like you got some raisin, boy. Anybody else ever? Anybody? All right. Act like you got some raisin. Hey, children of God, act like you got Jesus in you. Let that out. So Paul tells us to clothe ourselves. Then he tells us to make allowance. Any of you guys ever wake up grumpy? Some days you let him sleep. <laughs> old preacher joke, old preacher joke. So when you wake up grumpy, what's that like? Man, you, you go to work and you are just waiting for the next idiot to upset you, right? Not that there are idiots in your life, but I mean, this is, you're grumpy that day. So everyone's an idiot on grumpy days. Or the next person to pull out in front of you and so forth. You're not making allowance of other people's faults on those days. Or when you get behind the wheel of a car if you're like me, okay? Right? So here's Paul telling us, make allowance. Give people room. Give them some margin. Everybody's got faults. Cut them a break. Simple, Right? So he goes on, you gotta make allowance, and then he says, and this is our favorite part, right? Then you must forgive. Forgive anyone who offends you. It, it, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, let's read that again. Sometimes, guys, it's very valuable to take God's word and soak in it. Uh, actually, it's a, sometimes it's a misquote, yeah. This is a regular habit we need to have in our lives, just soaking in truth, especially when it's one we don't like. 
And, I, and honestly, if, if most of us in this room are honest, this particular verse is not our favorite. So forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. By the way, what looks more like Jesus than forgiveness? Isn't that what Paul's trying to say? Hey, hey man, Jesus is in you, so, so look like him. Look like who you are. Act like who you are. You're holy. You're sinless. You're blameless. So act like it. Jesus is in you. So act like it. So when it comes to forgiveness, we could, what could be more like Jesus than that? Then he goes on to say, above all, love. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect Harmony, I love that. I love that Paul uses a word that means harmony rather than a word that means uniformity or even unity. Because I love harmony. I, I love it when singers come together or musicians and you have all these different skills working together to create something beautiful together. That's what the church is. The church is like a band, a worship team. Actually, that's, we're just one big worship team. By the way, when I was... Um, this. I got to just sit and be a part of worship today, and it was, it was kind of overwhelming to hear God's kids love God. I love it. I love it. I, I think heaven is going to be awesome. I don't know what you're going there for, but I'm going there for the worship. So anyway, <laughs> above all, love each other. That's what binds us together in perfect harmony. What does, what does love look like? And I, you know, one of the things that God's been dealing with me about, so I'll I assume that if God's working on me, he wants me to share it with you. And one of the things he's been dealing with me about is that, that love is speaking up. A lot of times love is speaking up. And I, I realize Chris and I have been working on a, we're doing a series called Ever After in September. And we're going to talk about marriage. We're, we're both pretty stoked about that. And in that series, I began to realize that a lot of people, their relationships get to a place where they're not worth Speaking up. And that's, you know what I'm saying? It's not worth the fight. You ever been there? Like, I would say something, but you know, it's not really worth the drama. <laughs> and, and I began to ask myself, is that what love looks like? Is, is love avoiding a conflict because you don't want the drama? Or is love gently, humbly, patiently, that's the first verse, entering into a conflict because it's worth it? I thought that was good. Above all, love, I think a lot of relationships die because of unspoken expectations that they didn't get spoken because someone said, well, it's just not worth it. Then Paul goes on to say, hey, now let peace rule in your hearts. Um, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Oh, man. You guys in this room, if you are a believer in Christ, you place your faith in him, you are at peace with God. Say amen. Just amen. I'm at peace with God. You're never going to be at peace in the world or with the world. Okay, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to destroy your dream, but if you think, oh, I'm just waiting for some kind of weird nirvana to hit my existence, ain't going to happen, man. But the thing is, there's a peace available to you in Christ because he's enough that's so real and so legitimate and so stable that it settles out any storm you're in. And your life starts to look like Jesus walking on a stormy sea. The storm's wage, raging, but you're, you're good. So that, that's, that's let peace rule in your life. And then he goes on to say, and always be grateful. Now, I'll just 
I'm not going to develop this in the application part later, but let me just throw this out. So powerful. I, I, didn't, I learned it through a secular writer who's a Christian, but he writes a lot of business books named John Gordon. And, and he, he's famous for saying, I'm too blessed to be stressed. He was a very negative person early in his life. And then he discovered the power of gratitude. And he started, and he coaches all the people that he coaches. He coaches to take a, a walk every day that he calls the thank you walk. And just start thanking God for all the good stuff. Here, let me give you a practical application. Your teenager might be annoying you. I mean, not that teenagers do that, but if they did. And I, I being a parent, know that the easiest thing to do when your teenager is not seeing clearly the easiest thing to do is to start complaining about said teenager. Oh, they're such a, I don't know, they're just like their mother. <laughs> so flip it around. And instead of analyzing everything that's wrong with your teenager, start thanking God for all the things that are right. We've all got some great kids in this room, we're all pretty blessed. By the way, I mean, really, life isn't about digging for dirt. It's about mining for gold. So complaining about the dirt on somebody's life is kind of stupid. We got a lot of coal miners and trona miners. I mean, you guys don't go gripe about the dirt in the hole. You go after the trona and ignore the dirt or the coal or whatever it is. It's the same way with kids. Just because you can notice dirt on somebody's life doesn't mean you got to speak up and say something about it, but that's another sermon, Okay. Then he goes on to say, let the message of Christ and all its riches fill your lives. Now, listen to how he does this. So he's talking about the message of Christ, which is the gospel, which is the good news. Let it fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, yeah, spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Do you see this? He's talking about the gospel being so full in your life that you share it. Teach and counsel each other. You know... Real Christianity is a, it's something we do together. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to get to use my gift, which is boring people a little bit. But I mean, no, which is cracking silly stories and so forth. But church, well, I, I grew up, in, again, in Tennessee. And when I was a, a kid, we had a lot of potlucks. Churches like potlucks. We're kind of having one today, right? Potluck, yeah. Hallelujah, bless God, feed me. Pass Pastor Michael over there. Just get the sermon done. What's a potluck? Well, everybody brings a dish and we share. And, and the, the concept of a potluck isn't just about food. It's a theology, one we believe in adamantly. It's a theology of how we do community together. We don't just come together and let one person serve us as believers. We go and prepare our own dish to share with others. This is, we get something from Jesus. We get soaked in the gospel. We get excited about how God's forgiveness and Christ's sacrifice has changed our lives. We learn something from his precious word. And rather than just hold that into ourselves, we have to share it with each other. My favorite thing about teaching is learning. I learn so much when I teach. I learn so much more. In fact, if I'm studying something, I study it trying to learn how to teach it because I'll learn more. 
Uh, if, if I think to myself, okay, if I were going to teach this tomorrow, how am I going to do that? And it helps me absorb the information better. And it's the same way with the gospel, same way with your Bible, same way with your prayer life. Don't, don't just do this for you. Don't just be a lone ranger in your closet having your, your own personal intimacy with God. That's cool. But what happens in your prayer closet needs to change you so dramatically that it has to be shared. It has to be shared with somebody. When you share, the great thing about God's gifts, one of the awesome things about God's gifts is they exponentially increase as you give them away. That means as God gives you something, you share it with someone else, you have more of it, not less. That's, that's whew. Okay, thanks, Lord. Let the message of Christ fill you in all its richness, fill you. And then verse 17 and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. So here we are representing Jesus. What would that look like today? What would that look like in your job? What would that look like in your household, in your family? So there, we walk through the text. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. Now let's look at just three quick ways we can apply this. There's more. We could take each one of those and develop it along a long way and have a lot of fun with it. But let's just take three quick applications. Uh, well, I'm doing it, so maybe they won't be that quick. But first, <clears throat> put on a me second attitude. What does that mean? Most of us live life me first, right? Kind of. I get what I, what, what was it, an old pastor, my friend of mine used to say, people live life, uh, get all they can, can all they get, set on the lid and poison the rest. You know, it's kind of a, kind of one way people used to have approached life before. So <clears throat> as we represent Jesus Christ, uh oh, I broke it, Hannah. Oh, man. Luckily, God loves me and He fixed it. Or maybe Hannah did. I don't know. Okay. So, how, how did, where did this me first idea come from? Um, why do we do that? And of course, you could easily say, oh, it's the fall, it's the Genesis 3 thing. Okay, yeah, I got you. Good, sweet. Amen. We all agree. Our theology's sound. But I really think the me first thing comes from this simple thing called needs. I, I think we need to stop acting like we don't have them. I think we need to stop acting like in our marriages that we don't have needs. As parents, as children of parents, as grandparents, as seniors, as children, the, the reason we need to stop acting like we don't have needs is because we do have needs and we're trying to get them met. And that's what drives most of our strange behavior is that we're trying to, to meet a need in us and we don't even consciously realize it. We're trying to be, feel acceptance. Try, we need, we desperately, desperately need love. The word of God in Christianity and its message about surrender and sacrifice is not about denying the fact that you have needs. It's about actually meeting the needs you have. Our problem as Christians is not that we have needs. Our problem is we go to the wrong place to fill them. In Matthew 6, Jesus nails that to the floor for us. He says, hey man, don't be like the rest of the world. They're just concerned about their clothes and their food and their places to stay and all this kind of stuff. And he pretty much describes a consumeristic American right through that passage. The norm in our society. He says, don't be like that. And then he goes on in verse 33 and he says, hey, you seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first. And if, when, you, when you come to Colossians, now you see Paul taking 
Jesus teaching in Matthew 6 and, and telling us in Colossians, the whole book, hey man, this God you're seeking is Jesus Christ. He's enough. Seek him. So that the me first comes from my needs, how I demote me from me first to me second is I promote Christ. I put him on the throne. I get all my needs met through him. He loves me. He accepts me. He fills me. In fact, God's answer to all that stuff is to literally place Christ in us to satisfy our needs. Then we stop living in a place of lack. Most people live in this place where it's never enough. I never have enough money. I never have enough time. I never have enough whatever. So I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. If you listen to me long and you are you know, in the prosperity arm of things, I may say things that offend you. It's not that I'm trying to offend you. I just believe in abundance over prosperity. What's the difference? Abundance makes Christ enough. I don't have to be a successful businessman to live in abundance. I don't have to have a lot of money to live in abundance. I don't have to have a lot of possessions to live in abundance. I think it's personally, based on my interpretation and belief of the Bible, I think it's wrong to use God to get things that my flesh wants. <laughs> wow, I didn't know I was going to get that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so, <clears throat> if Jesus meets all those needs, if he's enough for me, then all of a sudden I'm not living in lack anymore. It's not about how much money I have. It's about how much God wants me to give. It's not about how much time I have. It's about what God wants me to give. Because when I give away God's gifts, they are exponentially increased in my life. Not Now, I know, I know there's like guys out there going, oh, dude, and you can use this to your advantage. Give $1,000 in Jesus' name for a Cadillac. So if you think I'm going there, I ain't. <laughs> because there are things in life that are far more precious than possessions. And you can get to the end of your life and have all everything you ever dreamed of that you can touch with your hands or see with your eyes and still be miserable and breathe your last and awaken in a terrible place. I don't want that for you. What I would rather see you do, rather than walk a life on calm seas in a really nice ship, is I'd rather see you taking a nice stroll on a raging sea totally at peace. That's what I would rather see. Amen. God's good. So when I put him in that place, it, it moves me out of place and, and begins to set me up for some real success in life. Success that's not measured in dollars and cents and possessions and but success that's measured in kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, things that life is really made for. Second thing, so first I put on a me second attitude. Second, I learn, follow me here, I learn the joy. I learn the joy of forgiveness. Nothing can get you stuck in your walk with Christ faster than unforgiveness. I know Christians and have counseled and loved on them that have been in a place that cannot move forward. They're just stuck because someone hurt them. Someone betrayed them. Someone let them down. And guys, I'm not a, I'm not a skepticist really. 
but people are going to let you down. That's not being negative. That's just being real. I let people down. I don't want to. I don't mean to. Believe me, I got this people-pleasing thing that I have to fight all the time that the last thing I want to do is let somebody down. But I do. There's no way around it. And so God's answer to that through Paul is just make allowance for each other's faults. Nobody's perfect. Just because you found some dirt on somebody doesn't mean you got to announce it. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So guys, if we learn to move in this forgiveness, we can move in a whole new realm of our life. You know, one of the things, that, and the reason we're doing this series in, in September about marriage is because just encountered over and over again the problem of forgiveness in a marriage. And I, I've talked to a number of couples in the last several years that were in a place in their relationship where they couldn't forgive each other anymore. Where the junk had just, I have a, a, a crap cart illustration I'm going to spare you from today, but I, it, just, it just gets mounted up. And they don't know how to get rid of it. And it's so bad in some relationships that they can't find common ground to even begin to start talking again. And it's a horrible place to be. And, my, and it breaks my heart. My, Chris and I together, something that we pray about a lot in our own prayer times about relationships. We pray for marriages in our community. And we don't know what God's going to do with this. But man, we're hoping that God will raise up a banner for marriages in Wyoming. We, we would like to change the, the numbers and the statistics on that. But I've seen people, they get to a place where they can't forgive. And in marriages, here's how it works. I've seen it more times than I care to count. They, they get to a place they can't forgive. The relationship dissolves. They either hit a spirit of divorce where they live together, but they're not actually married at heart. They physically divorce. Then they immediately go find someone else who they think will give them the love that they need, but they haven't learned how to forgive. So what happens? If you don't learn forgiveness, then you just take that same unforgiving pattern into the next relationship. You start all over again. And how many times are you going to go through the class before you realize, I might be part of my own problem? I know that's a sobering thought, but it's something we have to think about. So I, I didn't say, put this point up to have the word joy in there. Do you know what it's like to be free of something? Have you ever, like, wrote the last car payment check? The last... Some of you have probably written your last house payment check. Send that thing in. Wow, I'm free. In, in, in a relationship, in a marriage, every now and then there's this, this thing that sits bubbling for years, and then all of a sudden it bubbles to the top. You identify what it really is, the root cause. You forgive it. You guys come to terms with each other, and all of a sudden that weight is off of your relationship, and you are free to love each other. Isn't that kind of what? We've kind of been through that a few times. Isn't that something? What if, right now, some of you probably have someone that you're struggling forgiving? Not all of you, but some of you probably do. Have someone that you're struggling forgiving. And what would it be like to not have that weight on you anymore? And what if I told you you have all the power to throw the weight off? I know, some of you are sitting there going, well, but they need to do something first. I, get, I hear you, I hear you. 
Forgiveness is one of those things that cannot be earned. You understand that, right? It always has to be given. You can't earn forgiveness. And the person that you are struggling with, they will never be able to earn your forgiveness. But God forgave you a lot worse than whatever they did to you. And you're like, I know, but what they did to me was really bad. What you did to Jesus is pretty bad. So remember that Jesus did that and forgive them. And here's what happens. It's like a, a burden lifted. And you're free. Freedom doesn't set the person free. In fact, forgiveness acknowledges the wrong and chooses to forgive it. Often we stay in unforgiveness because we refuse to acknowledge the wrong, and then there is no accountability at all. But as soon as you move into forgiveness, now you're saying, it was wrong, but I forgive it, and I'm free. It's been acknowledged. Everything's good. It's under the blood. I'm free. So I want to challenge you to do something, not right now, but this is my challenge for today for you guys struggling with forgiveness is some of you have the name, some of you have a few. You have the name, I can't, and you just are struggling with forgiving them. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Before you leave here today, prayer time, communion would be a great time to do it. Come up, and I just want you to say it. Verbally say it. You don't have to say it loud. You can say it real quiet. I forgive so-and-so. Now, I know you're sitting there going, well, I'm not going to believe it. That's okay. Out of the mouth, faith begins to speak. And we need to say it. And we need to say it. And we need to speak it until our heart believes it. That's one way you enter into forgiveness. Forgiveness is never easy. Ah, sometimes it gets easier, I guess. So we learn the joy of forgiveness, and then you're going to be free and then the third thing we want to do is we want to point people to Jesus. So Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message about Christ, all its richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. So let me give you a couple things. I've got to be quick here. <clears throat> Simply this. If you're going to point people to Jesus, the best place to start is by you being obsessed with Jesus. I mean it. I mean, I, I'm, I know you're sitting there going, Do you want us all to be a bunch of Jesus freaks? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I'll tell you why. When Jesus is the answer, what else do you need to be a freak about? I mean, come on. How many times the Broncos going to let you down, guys? Be a freak about Jesus, not the Broncos. I could have said any other team there. They're just the closest one. You know what I'm saying? Just become obsessed with him. Dwell in God's word. Spend time thinking about who Jesus is, praying, and, and, and just getting alone with him and just getting obsessed. Let Jesus shape the way you think, the way you love, the way you talk to people. And so begin to just get obsessed with Jesus. And I mean this. This can be a conscious effort to step into an obsession with the holy. It will change your life. It will make it more difficult in some ways. No, no argument there. But I tell you what, some things are worth the difficulty, right? Some things are just worth it. Especially in love, nothing, nothing's worth more difficulty than real love, right? I mean, I remember when I met Christy, she worked at a McDonald's drive-thru. Back when polyester pants were a thing. Can you imagine that? I don't know, all I know is I saw her in the drive-thru and she was wearing that burgundy polyester outfit and she smelled like a Big Mac and I was in love. And then we started, you know, ain't no mountain high enough. I started going after the girl. 
And there's a story there. But I got the girl, and that's all that matters. So we need to get obsessed with Jesus and point people to Jesus. And one of the other things we need to do is we need to help each other out following Jesus. This is where Paul comes in in Galatians chapter 2 or 6, verse 1. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I love this passage. I, I do believe it's often misinterpreted and misunderstood. I think a lot of people use this verse as a reason to be judgmental. And I don't like that. But I will tell you this. A real brother or sister in Christ calls each other up. Sometimes we may need to call each other out in order to call us up. But the truth is we, we do call each other up. And it might look like, hey, man, let's go to small group. Instead of the Netflix binge or the movie, it might be something to invite me into kingdom thinking and kingdom life rather than more entertaining of me. Several years ago, uh, I was pastoring in Missouri. I, hadn't, it was, I was pastoring Temple Baptist Church. It was my, my second church that I pastored. And I worked in a, a denomination and um, you may not can tell this about me, but I really struggle in those kind of environments. And uh, so I was having problems with the director of missions. And uh, the reason I was was because he was a traditionalist to the bone. In fact, I left 20-something years ago, well, almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago. They, their newsletter that they made 18 years ago, they have not changed in 18 years. It's the same format and everything. That drives me crazy. Um, so I was complaining. I know I, I preach against complaining because it's a, a sin of mine. And so I was complaining to my other pastor friend, Jeff Womble, who's a missionary now and he lives in Thailand. And uh, he was pastor in a small country church. And I was griping about my DOM. And Jeff, this real gentle, spirited, sweet soul, called me up and he said man I love you but it's not right to talk about a brother like this and he called me up and he was right I didn't like it though <laughs> it was a little bit longer before we uh, had coffee again but the Bible says in Proverbs wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy I've been wounded by a friend and I've been kissed by an enemy. I can tell you which one hurts less in the long run. I just want you to know we need each other. We can't do this alone. And so Jesus invites us into that community. That the main thing and the only thing we really have in common is him. And that's okay. I don't need more than him. I just need him. So today as I conclude, I, I just want to remind you. You, everyone in this room, you represent Jesus. You've, most of your friends probably know you come to Ordinary Faith. You probably invited some of them to come. Keep doing that. That's great. Just remember you represent him. And if you're going to do it well, you've got to do it filled with him. You've got to do it obsessed with him. He's got to be enough for you. And as he's more and more enough for you, the more peace you're going to be, the more joy you're going to have. Yeah, there are rewards they may not be dollars in the bank or possessions on properties. They may be worth far more than that. And so let's represent. Amen?
Michael.